He is more than a story. He is more than a comic book superhero. He is more than a symbol of hope. He represents our greatest aspirations. He is everything we think we can be. And yet, even with all the strength and all the power in all of the world, he may not be able to meet his greatest challenges and redeem his family's legacy. For he is the son of El. Chapter 15 The Justice League Clark Kent's day-to-day life had become a constant stream of calamity. Working at the Daily Planet, he found himself leaving for minutes at a time to resolve crises around the world. Coming and going each day, Clark could hardly keep track of time. Returning back to work, he often forgot whether he had left through the lobby or flown off from the roof. The days had become a blur in a constant stream of dilemmas. Clark found his mind wandering in the midst of a battle. Grant Haskell, a scientist he once interviewed for an article about kryptonite-powered technology, had put his own mind into an experimental android dubbed KRGX, powered by his own kryptonite radiation generator. This robot was fundamentally the same concept behind Metallo and Luther's Project Adonis, only it was more agile and fired bursts of kryptonite radiation. KRGX reminded Clark of Dr. Cyber in its use of radiation and rocket propulsion. Casually, Superman let the android take chase as he led it in circles over the sea. Clark contemplated how much of Haskell remained inside of the thing, eventually deciding to literally disarm the robot and attempt to retrieve its head and torso to save what was left of the man. Unfortunately, when Clark took hold of the dismembered robotic torso, KRGX, like Dr. Cyber, let out a blast of kryptonite radiation. Clark was shot back into the sea. What remained of KRGX sank to the ocean floor. Not daring to go near it again, Clark asked his cousin Arthur to retrieve the robot's remains and bring them to Ray Palmer to study. Superman was ever busy and needed to know when to delegate. The Metropolis still had its own catastrophes. New masterminds and criminals continued to arise, clearly sent by some combination of the three mad professors, Achilles Milo, Arthur Ivo, and Hugo Strange. Their most recent victim was the famed young inventor, Alexander Mason. The young man started calling himself the Planeteer and declared he was the spirit of Alexander the Great, returning to conquer the world. Using his magnetic devices, the Planeteer offered Superman a momentary challenge. Clark struggled to catch and dodge every car, truck, and metal grate hurled at him. As Clark neared the Planeteer, he felt his own energy field tingle around him. Countering this sensation, Superman sent out a charged pulse, conveniently neutralizing the Planeteer's energy field. Once Mason's equipment was taken away, he offered no threat. He could only rant over his coming rise to power as the police took him away. Batman had mentioned many times before how these professors belonging to the Light Keepers had essentially created nearly all of the most extreme criminals. If this was true, Clark wondered if there was a story here for the Daily Planet. While digging into the history of these professors and their victims, Clark was pulled from his studies when he received a message on his watch. Black Lightning and his partner Lynn had had their baby. That week, Superman took the time to fly to Freeland to congratulate the young family in person and bring them one of Martha's casseroles. Jefferson was surprised and a bit confused to see Clark knocking on their door that morning. Can I help you? Clark lowered his glasses and gave his friend a wink. Jefferson stared wide-eyed a moment before realizing his manners. Well, my goodness. Come on in. You certainly caught me by surprise. Lynn's voice called out from the living room. Who's there, honey? 
Jefferson closed the door and called back. It's Superman! Kal-El, come on in here and meet our baby girl! Jefferson led them into the living room where Clark presented the casserole he brought. My ma prepared this for you. She says you only have to heat it up and dinner will be done. Also, you can keep the dish. She got it from a thrift store. Lynn gawked at Clark in surprise at his formal attire. Well, look at you! Toning it down a little, I see. Clark blushed. House calls are best kept inconspicuous. Lynn offered Superman to hold their newborn, Anissa. As he took her from her mother, Clark wasn't sure, but he thought he felt the faintest spark. His visit with the Pierce family was cut short when Jean Jones summoned him to Wonder Woman's aid. Like Black Lightning, Wonder Woman was someone who usually chose not to ask for assistance. When Superman found her, Wonder Woman's battle was already over. Dr. Cyber's robotic body lay dead with a gaping hole in her chest. Laying beside her struggled a spotted cat-like woman, bound by Diana's powerful lasso. Diana sustained many scratches and injuries in the fight. Clark wasn't so sure he was needed there until Diana turned to face him, rage burning in her eyes. Do you see her? Do you see what Milo did to her? She was innocent. He did this to Barbara to hurt me. Clark looked at the poor woman in shock. Her cheetah-like face looked hauntingly familiar. That's Barbara? First Adriana, and now Barbara. When will enough be enough? I'm... I'm so sorry. Are you? Are you finally willing to take charge of your people? My people? I don't think they're my people. How are they not? I am here to defend this earth. Your family is in charge of the people. I'm not here to rule over anyone. They don't need a ruler. They need a leader. They might learn to rule themselves, but it will only happen after they have someone to show them how. Superman turned back to look at Barbara. From all he had learned of Achilles Milo's creations, there was little chance anything could be done to reverse her condition. He couldn't save her, but he could stop the architects of her infliction from harming anyone else. Clark left Diana, flying straight to Gotham to demand Batman put priority on finding these professors driven by cruelty. Batman had not been at the Batcave for the last several visits Superman had made there. Whatever Bruce Wayne was up to was more important to him than these lightkeepers. He could never seem to properly track them, despite his resources and ability to know everything else in the world. Finding Batman at home, Superman did not wait long to condemn him for his lack of action. How is it you still haven't found these professors? Batman scowled at Clark, staring in response to his presumptuous question. A smile crept over his face. Clark wasn't sure if the smile translated to his eyes. Bruce turned back to his computer console, bringing up images of an island, a bunker, and a fortress, explaining, I believe I have them all now. Diana's friend spent the last few weeks in an uninhabited island far offshore of Japan. You knew about Barbara? When she and Diana were fighting, I watched through closed-circuit surveillance while researching Barbara's recent disappearance. Clark did not expect this pivot. His heated intensity was taken down a notch. He had to ask himself if his accusations were perhaps unwarranted. Batman continued his report. Alexander Mason, you just dealt with him this week. He was perfectly fine as recently as last month. His former therapist retired this winter and Mason found himself the new patient of Hugo Strange, working under an alias. After two visits, the Planeteer had been created. Since then, Strange has fled to Siberia. Impressed by Batman's thorough investigating, Clark blurted out, What about Ivo? Have you found him recently? Batman paused to glare at Superman, making him wait his punishment for interrupting. 
I found Ultra Humanite months ago and have been tracking him ever since. You've known where the Ultra Humanite's been for months? Again, Batman glared at Clark a moment before going on. Do you really think Ultra Humanite is a threat? Clark shrugged. I don't know. He could be. Batman ignored this concern and continued. Three weeks ago, Ultra Humanite was summoned to a compound in South Africa. This was a compound that Arthur Ivo had abandoned years ago. The fortress shows no sign of activity or life, but Ivo is capable of surviving alone, unnoticed with the aid of his machines. If Ultra Humanite is being summoned there, we can count this as affirmation. Ivo has returned home. Only days after Ultra Humanite's arrival at the compound, Grant Haskell had his mind transferred into an android with remarkable similarity to Ivo's own creations. Then we have them then. We know where they all are, right? Let's do this. Let's bring them in right now. Not yet. What? Why not? We need to get the whole team together, all at once, and take all three of them prisoner in one night. Once we strike, we will have little time before the others catch wind and escape. Then let's do it tonight. Let's call the whole team together and do this. Not yet. Give me 84 hours. Why? What for? We're not ready. We're not equipped for this. Just give me 84 hours. Three more nights. Then we go. Clark finally agreed to Batman's demand and immediately contacted John Jones to put out the word. It was time to finally bring all the heroes together. The chosen location to meet was Green Arrow in Black Canary's headquarters, a warehouse in Starling's Waterside District. Even if Batman had not needed so much time to prepare, Clark looked back in hindsight, doubting whether they could have gotten everyone in one place sooner. Clark offered to give a ride to anyone who could not fly themselves to the West Coast. Jefferson was the first to take Clark up on the offer. He had plenty of experience with Superman carrying him in his own car during his and Lynn's prenatal visits. Ray Palmer and Mr. Terrific both opted to ride along. Marijiwe, Vixen, declined the ride, saying she had her own transportation. Everyone else expected to make it on their own. When the night of their meeting finally came and Superman picked up Black Lightning, Ray Palmer, and Mr. Terrific, Palmer and Terrific talked shop the whole ride, discussing Ray's most famous experiments. Superman and his group were the first to arrive at the warehouse. They were welcomed by Oliver and Dinah, both emphatically apologizing to Superman for the cold shoulder they gave him when he first proposed teaming up. Black Canary was especially grateful. We really appreciate the support you've given us. Green Arrow couldn't agree more. I don't know what we would have done without the Flash and Green Lantern. Dinah took Superman's hand in both of her own. Thanks for making us a part of your Justice League. Clark had never heard this term before. Justice League? Is that what we're calling ourselves? Oliver explained. Oh, that's just a little nickname Canary's given the group. Not bad. I like it. Chit-chat continued as everyone slowly arrived. Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern, showed up shortly after Superman and the others. He was soon followed by Jean Jones, at nearly the same moment as The Flash. Next to arrive was Aquaman, still dripping wet from his swim there. This was the first time many of them had gotten to meet one another. It was a rare pleasure to be among other heroes comparing experiences. When Vixen arrived with Diana, Clark wondered how long the two of them had known each other. Was Diana the friend Marty had once suggested Clark meet? While they all mingled, Clark found himself trying and failing to strike up casual conversation with Wonder Woman. I'm glad you made it, Diana. I can't imagine why I would miss this. I, uh, I mean... Mari Jiwei swooped in to ease the conversation between Diana and Superman. I am sure Superman only means he is happy to see we have arrived safely. Thank you, Kalel. Diana is an excellent companion to fly with. 
Vixen saved the moment for Clark, yet he soon became distracted. Peering around the room, not seeing Batman, he worried their severe friend wouldn't make it in time to debrief everyone. The Light Keepers were Bruce's area of expertise. 85 hours had passed and Batman had not arrived. Clark tried to come up with some means of stalling the meeting when Jean Jones called everyone to order instead. He went straight to explaining to everyone who these professors were, Milo, Ivo, and Strange, and what their role was in fostering the many villains the heroes faced. Jean Jones broke down the details on the professor's locations with such precision that Clark wondered if Batman was channeling through him. When everyone was caught up, they turned to Superman for the next move. Clark wasn't sure what it was going to be. Batman should be here soon. While we're waiting for him to get here, I guess we should pair off into groups. Those who can't fly will need to determine who will carry them. A voice scolded Clark from a corner cast in shadow. There's no point in carrying each other like fools. It'll take too long and be inconvenient for everyone. Clark looked up to see Batman had silently arrived when John Jones was speaking. Clark gestured to him to come out of the dark corner he chose to lurk in. How would you propose we get there? We can take my hypersonic jet. You have a hypersonic jet? Asked the Flash. Do you want to race? Batman shot down the Flash's question. Let's focus on the mission at hand. Stuttering, Black Lightning couldn't let this news go. How... How do you have a supersonic jet? I made it for this mission. That's why I was late. Okay, but let's race on the way back. The Flash persisted, but Batman's patience was being tested. Save your energy. We have a long night in front of us. If we start now, we can stay ahead of the sunrise. We'll strike them all down in one night, starting with Achilles Milo. Time was of the essence. Superman assured the Flash he would get a chance to race. Within a couple hours of concluding the meeting, the Justice League converged on the island of Professor Achilles Milo. They were met by a menagerie of creatures that might be most comparable to carnivorous dinosaurs, but they were disturbingly mutated. Milo had borrowed forms from his older creations with terrible haste. These poor creatures lived a painful existence. From the sky, Superman scanned the Professor's laboratory, but there were too many human-sized creatures inside for him to spot the Professor among them. While the League corralled the mutated dinosaurs, the Flash made a quick lap through the facility. At his speed, he had no resistance finding Milo within a few minutes and soon brought him back to the others. The various creatures who'd been there to protect Achilles Milo barely perceived their master being carried away by the Flash. As the Flash marched him onto the jet, Professor Milo peered at them all from under his bowl cut, greeting them with a wicked grin. His voice came out slimy and unpracticed. Well, would you look at that? The whole squad came out for me. I'm flattered. Batman set to immediately imprisoning Milo in the jet's brig. With their prisoner secure, they set course for Professor Hugo Strange. Batman explained, Strange's operation is more mobile than Milo's labs. It is critical we get to him before he realizes we have Achilles. If he escapes, it could take years to track him down again. Riding in a jet was a new experience for Superman, and though he suspected he may be able to fly faster, he appreciated the time they were all able to spend together. Teaming up to take down the mad scientist was a surprisingly enriching experience. He and Diana sat next to each other and got to talking casually. She too had never flown on a jet before. I mean, I have flown to airports before, and they've asked me where my jet was. But I just told them it was invisible. It was easier than explaining that I could fly. Superman found her humor especially relatable and laughed at her every joke. Black Lightning was sharing baby photos all night. He had a seemingly endless supply of them in just a week of being a father. Meanwhile, The Flash, The Arrow, and Green Lantern had a kind of performative rapport. 
They had created a comedy bit brainstorming names to call the jet. Aquaman shouted out every idea that came to mind. The Justice Jet 5! Arrow had certain criteria. Wait, five? Why five? Because it's a really cool number. Do we have to pick a number at random? Hal Jordan made a suggestion. How about Justice Jet 2? Because it has two wings. The Flash objected. Don't be ridiculous, every jet has two wings. We need a number distinct to this jet. Eventually, most everyone agreed. They liked the name Javelin 17 the best. They chose the number 17 because it was the number of seats on the jet. Batman conceded to the name. Considering the other suggestions, he thought it could have been worse. Names like Speedy the Wonder Jet had been contenders. Before the sun had risen, they found Professor Strange's underground bunker in Siberia. It was full of mindless, brainwashed soldiers prepared to fight for him, each of them willing to sacrifice their lives. Just as it appeared that they were going to face a mindless mob, Jean Jones used all of his concentration to tap into their minds and paralyze them where they stood. Only then was the League able to gain access to the bunker without hurting these innocent people. In the lowest underground levels, Hugo Strange awaited. But before they could capture him, he declared he would not be taken prisoner and promptly blew himself up. The victory rang mostly hollow. The professor was dead and his victims stood around in a stupor. Jean Jones did what he could to reach into their minds and pull them back into consciousness. But the damage had already been done. Batman suggested they leave immediately for their last target, but Dinah insisted they stay to help these people. We can't just leave them like this. We can't take them with us either. Eventually, Batman agreed to wait for local authorities to help Strange's lingering victims. Clark flew to a nearby town for help, only to find it abandoned. The people in the bunker had come from this place. When the police from a neighboring settlement arrived, the League departed, flying immediately to Ivo's compound in South Africa. The night was slipping away. Along their flight, despite their setbacks, the tone aboard the jet was jovial to the point of celebration. Mr. Terrific commented on his satisfaction with the night. I don't know if all of us needed to be here tonight, but I'm glad I made it for the party. Batman's voice came out over the intercom. This is no party. Our next destination is literally a fortress compared to that dinosaur island and mindless zombie bunker. Don't start celebrating yet. Ivo is ruthless, and he has had all night to prepare for us. The joking simmered down, but even at hypersonic speed, the trip from Siberia to South Africa was long enough for the Flash to rouse several more rounds of laughter as he described the comedic wonder of watching the Green Arrow and Green Lantern in action together. So there Oliver is, out of arrows, but it doesn't matter, because Hal is just conjuring them one at a time for him. Even Batman shared in the League's raucous laughter. The Flash had to wipe tears from his eyes to catch his breath before concluding the story. Like, how could just bubble the gang up this whole time, but instead, he's blocking the bullets with his wall while offering encouragement. Vixen stopped laughing long enough to ask a question. Wait, what were you doing this whole time? The Flash strained to answer in between chuckles. Oh me? I was too busy taking cover, bent over crying with laughter. The jubilant mood was dashed away when Batman brought the jet to a hover. Their destination could be seen on the horizon. Ivo's compound was no longer dormant. The fortress swarmed with drones. Its turrets were fully activated. Jean Jones gave them his assessment. I can sense no signs of life. I cannot say if Ivo is present. Batman had no doubts. Ivo is most likely shielding his life signs. He's managed to be here undetected for who knows how long. As the Justice League discussed their plan, an army of androids all powered by kryptonite rose into the air. The League's presence had been detected. Superman delegated the team to action. Flash, Jean Jones, 
You two see if you can get inside the main compound and disable these things from the inside. Diana, you and I will lure these bots into the sky and clear the way for the ground team. Hal will run defense for everyone on foot. You all deploy from here on the jet and work your way inside. As Ivo's android army neared, the time for planning ended. Superman and Wonder Woman charged into the enemy's throngs. Yet Clark soon found he had overestimated his ability to evade kryptonite radiation. He and Diana were not enough to pull the army away from the others. Green Lantern and the ground team were pinned down until both the Flash and Martian Manhunter joined in the battle against the androids. Ivo possessed no shortage of mechanical soldiers and armed drones to wear the Justice League down as they inched closer. Superman adapted his strategy. Flying high above the fortress while using his fiery heat vision, he eliminated the fortress turrets. With the tower guns disabled, he went after the drones next. Soon the majority of androids were rocketing up toward Clark in defense. He had managed to lure the army away from the fortress. Wonder Woman and the Martian Manhunter joined Superman high above the ground to dismantle the androids while the others entered the palace in the center of the fortress. When the Flash found the panel controlling the androids, killing its power did nothing to deactivate Ivo's army. The robots persisted until Superman and the others destroyed every last one of them. The battle had taken all of the day. As the sun set, Superman joined the others in the palace. They had found Arthur Ivo. Deep inside the compound center on a medical bed, they found his body. He had been dead for over a month. A malfunction in his nursing bot had left him unfed. Batman sat next to the old man, looking at him with pity. All of this was for immortality. The fool wanted to live forever. He thought he would put his consciousness into one of his machines. No one should live that long. Arthur Ivo should consider himself lucky to die so easily. Bruce placed a coin over each of Ivo's closed eyes and pulled a blanket over the corpse. Superman felt an unusual chill pass through him. It wasn't cold, but the nerves in his spine shuddered. Overwhelmed by Batman's somber presence, Superman went to check on the others. Ray Palmer was organizing Ivo's equipment to be shrunken for transportation and cataloged for storage. Before Clark found the rest of the League, he was distracted by the faintest sound, a familiar heartbeat. Descending into the basement, Superman found a hidden door left ajar. Once inside, the door sealed behind him and a light revealed ultra-humanite waiting. The albino ape wore his usual devious grin. Well, here we are again, Superman. I will not bore you with the usual trifle, though have no doubt, all of your powers have been calculated to the last millisecond. You would be well advised to remain where you are. There will be no sneaking around me this time. What's your game, ultra-humanite? No game, Superman. I simply came here upon request and found poor Arthur already dead. I believe he wanted me to finally transfer him into his androidal meta-adaptive zenith organism. But it was too late for Ivo. Perhaps I will use it for my next body instead. It's done, Ultra-Humanite. I'm taking you into custody. Oh, it is done, Superman. You are already defeated. You see, I have discovered your ultimate weakness. You care for your friends too much. Through them, you can be manipulated. What have you done? Oh, not me. They have done it to themselves. Their minds have become trapped and you will do everything I say if you want them returned to their bodies. Clark called out telepathically to Martian Manhunter. John Jones, are you there? Yes, Kalel. I can hear you. Is everyone alright? We had a scare for a moment there. But the Flash managed to neutralize the source. 
Hearing this, Clark smiled with newfound confidence. Ultra-Humanite's own smile melted away as he realized his plan had failed. Superman's friends were fine. The albino ape urged Superman to remember that he would not make it across the room before being stopped by the many booby traps. Clark recalled his confrontation with the planeteer. He remembered how it felt to push back on his magnetic field. Closing his eyes, Clark charged himself up and let out a pulse. Opening his eyes again, the room was left in complete darkness, save for Superman's radiant glow. With the room's security disabled, Clark apprehended Ultra Humanite and led him through the palace to find the others. Progress packing Ivo's robotic contraband lasted late into the night. When it was all consolidated onto the jet and Ultra Humanite was locked into his own cell alongside Achilles Milo, the League returned to Starling City. The Flash finally got his race with the Javelin 17. He won by the slightest margin, but considering he hadn't slept for two nights, he thought he did alright. Superman thought they had all done a marvelous job, especially considering none of them had gotten any real rest. Before heading their separate ways, Superman thanked them for all they had done that night. Without intending it, he began making a speech. For a long time now, each of us have fought on our own, for a sense of justice and what we know is right. In only a few months, we've learned to become a team. It hasn't always been easy, but it has consistently made each of us stronger. The last two nights, we took this experiment one step further. We've proven we can work as a whole, and accomplish more than we ever dared to on our own. Today we can all go home and rest, knowing that justice has been served. The Flash alone began clapping. Arthur soon joined him, followed by the others. Batman reluctantly joined in, but his clapping appeared to be the slow, ironic sort. With the adventure behind them for the night, everyone thanked Superman personally as they left. Batman flew home everyone in need of a ride. Clark and Diana were the last to go. Before departing, they spoke on the rooftop of the Arrow's warehouse. You impressed me today, Kalel. You led a team of the most powerful beings in the world, as casually as though it were an outing with friends. Oh, it was nothing. I should be thanking you for all you've taught me. She smiled coyly. There you go, doing it again. You are forever modest. I must return to Themyscira, but I will remember you fondly, Kalel. You took command and led your people as a true king. Goodbye. Perhaps we will see each other again one day. Stepping back, she lightly took flight. They retained eye contact as she slowly ascended into the sky. As she turned around, Diana disappeared in a blink of light, vanishing from the world of mankind. Standing by himself, no longer basking in the glow of Wonder Woman's praise, Clark was left in doubt. She had lauded him for taking command, yet being in command was not something he wanted. Though Luther and the Light Keepers had all been captured, Clark feared he was failing to redeem his family legacy. The ghost of his grandfather, Enlil, haunted him more than ever. Thank you for listening. I'm Isaac Bluefoot. Son of L is written and produced by myself. This is the final episode of part one of Son of L. Part two is available now. If you're enjoying this audiobook, please recommend it to friends and write a review. I deeply appreciate it. Another way to show support is at patreon.com bluefoot. Not everyone can contribute, and whether you do or don't, I really appreciate you being part of this journey. 
This story was inspired by the Superman and DC Comics and characters originally created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster, with additional contributions by Len Wayne, Kurt Swan, Paul Cooperberg, Bob Rozowski, Tony Isabella, Trevor Von Eden, Joseph Samichson, Joe Serta, William Moulton Marston, Harry G. Peter, Greg Rucka, Liam Sharp, George Perez, Bill Finger, Bob Kane, Mort Weisinger, George Papp, Dennis O'Neill, Dick Dillon, Julius Schwartz, Gardner Fox, Gil Kane, John Ostrander, Tom Mandrake, Jerry Conway, Bob Oxner, Robert Canninger, Carmine Infantino, John Broom, Paul Norris, Sheldon Moldoff, and Mike Sikowski. Manuscript editing assistance by Trisha Reel. Music in this episode was made by Scott Nice, Kai Engel, Vortex, Gorowski, Blue Dot Sessions, Oscar Schuster, Kyle Preston, Poddington Bear, and Meter. See the episode notes for details. In the meantime, for more of my work, get yourself a deck of Omen Quest cards at omenquestcards.com. Simple games to break the ice and start a conversation. And be sure to listen to the next episode, Chapter 16, Dark Justice.